Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. So basically, if you create a product that gets used more than someone's toothbrush, that's a good way of figuring out if it's going to be uh, a viable product or if it's something that will just be a trinket that somebody will buy and set on the shelf and never touch or maybe not even buy at all. So, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to use it twice a day, period. You're listening to Ryan Gorman, who is an entrepreneur, an inventor, and somebody who has made a business out of selling his ideas and actually creating physical products. And I wanted to invite him on to share with us a little bit more insight with how he's done what he's been able to do to hopefully inspire some of you who, whether you have an audience already or not, whether you're doing digital products or not, to potentially start thinking about, well, how might you be able to expand and diversify your portfolio with potentially a physical product or an idea even and making money through that? We had Stephen Key on the podcast a long time ago who talked about selling your ideas. And one of his ideas was the Teddy Ruxpin. And this is the like Stephen is an old school uh, marketer. Ryan's in the new age of entrepreneurship and invent, inventing and, and, and how to work with that line. So we're going to chat with him today. But first, hit it. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, when he's bored, he practices Fortnite dances, Pat Flynn. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today, we're talking with Ryan Gorman, who I actually met randomly at a coffee shop on my way out from Franklin, Tennessee. I was there to film with Michael Hyatt, and I wanted some coffee before my flight. And I went in this coffee shop, and Ryan comes up to me. I didn't know who he was, and he said, Pat, thank you for what you do. I listened to your podcast, and then we sat and talked for a little bit, and he told me his story. And wow, I was blown away. So I invited him right then and there on the podcast, and we were finally able to make it happen. And at the time, I didn't even know I was going to be inventing something. So I think it was kind of just uh, divine intervention. And so I'm so glad that he's on the show with us today. Let's just dive right in and welcome Ryan Gorman. Ryan, what's up? Thank you for joining me and the audience here on the SPI podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. And I had just told everybody uh, who's listening about how we kind of met, and I'm so excited to have you on the show because 
you are doing things very differently than most people in the world of entrepreneurship. You're not just an entrepreneur. You are an inventor and not just an inventor who comes up with ideas, but an inventor who also has a lot of marketing knowledge to get those ideas to market and a lot of the ins and outs. And as many of the audience knows, I'm working on a sort of secret uh, physical product myself, and um, this will be as much of a conversation for uh, me, but as it is for also other people who may be going down this route as well. And, you know, I, I think there might be also similar to me, people who have built audiences where, you know, digital products are great, but there is room and opportunity for physical products. So we're going we're gonna to dive right into that. But first, how did you get into inventopreneurship, if, if we want to call it that? <laughs> Well, it, it really came uh, very naturally to me. What I did um, in my, I call it kind of like my previous life, is I was in the music industry and I toured uh, for a little over a decade as a sound engineer and uh, guitar tech and drum tech and a and, uh, little bit of a musician in there. But um, when I got married, I needed to do something that was not traveling so much. Mm-hmm. And I, my wife and I moved to Nashville and uh, met some people here. And I ended up working at a company that produces sporting goods, uh, in particular coolers and now drinkware. And I was hired to do marketing, hired to build their website, build their e-commerce platform. Um, but I really kind of fell into naturally just by being an outdoorsy guy, fell into testing their products and developing their products and it just kind of came naturally. Uh, and once I left that company, the, the current owner sold it. And when he left, I started another company with him. And we just kind of snowballed inventions. And before you know it, it's you know a few years later. And we've got products out there under that company. I've got products that I've created on my own out there. Um, and it, it really just fully consumed me. Um, and I learned about you know the 3D printing, which we may or may not get into later. But um, it's just... It's really just captivated my attention completely, and it's something that anybody can do. I don't think people realize that, but um, you really can just have that little light bulb idea in your head and and go make it now. And that that I've really just embraced that and and just dove headfirst into it. And here we are, years later, still rocking. That's cool. How many inventions would you say uh, you have at this point? Um. I would say inventions, probably 50 or more good inventions, probably uh, somewhere around 10, I like to say, are actually decent. But the thing is, it's so quick to, you know, uh, either prototype something or draw something or just get the concept out there um, that you can you can just take like brainstorm time, but just spend it inside of a 3D space, just drawing stuff. And, and you sometimes you'll hit a home run and sometimes, you know, swing and a miss. But, uh, you know, we, we live to play another day, so to speak. So you can always just create and, and what is good, run with it. And what is bad, accept the fact that you failed and let it go and move on. What was your first sort of invention that you, you did on your own? Um, well, this... It was a, it's out there for another company and I don't want to, I don't want to go too deep into it, but basically I designed a, a bottle slash can koozie. Um, and I was like so proud of this thing and I created it on my own and I really should have patented it. And I didn't know this at the time and I took it to the company and they were like, thanks. And now it's a product that's, you know, everywhere in their distribution network. And, um, you know, I don't see anything from that, but you know, that's why we say we live and learn, uh, learn these things. So I, I kind of got burned on that one. But mm. that was my first product that I really went in there with a full out concept of this is how it needs to be done. 
and uh, and they did it and they executed it really well. Um, and at that point in time, I wouldn't have had the skills to to really create it myself anyway. But that was 100% my concept, and it's out there, and it's cool to see it out there. But um, I should have protected the IP on that. Yeah, we'll talk about protection and the process from idea to market in just mm-hmm. a minute. I'm curious, are there any inventions that you can share that we may even know about? Um, well, as far as you know, products that I helped design, the, the biggest product that I had a hand in helping design at this point is a drinkware item called the Orca Chaser. And that uh, is a basically a vacuum-insulated tumbler. And they uh, that company was, was very successful in and selling that and it's not i can't take full credit for that that was just something that i was a part of developing but Mm -hmm. uh after that um one of the coolest products that i've had a hand in in developing that i can share is one that is it's a multi-connection battery terminal and it's for people that have rvs or four-wheelers or fishing boats uh golf carts anything like that you name it and you're constantly as you add things to this you're just stacking electrical leads onto the one bolt of your battery and we've created a system that is lead-free, so it's you know not toxic. Um, and you can attach it to your battery. You can attach all these different connections, up to five of them individually. And you can manage those connections individually, adding and removing things without disconnecting everything else. Or if you need to change your battery, uh, just pop one bolt, pull the whole unit off. You can swap your battery out, put it back on, and uh, you're good to go there. So for people that are you know outdoors a lot in in the fishing and hunting and just outdoor in general, um, it saves them a lot of time and also a lot of troubleshooting because you can you can quickly uh, keep stuff organized and troubleshoot as connections fail or you know mm-hmm. batteries die that kind of thing. And when it comes to getting ideas for physical products like this that could then become inventions or patented and then sold, are the best ideas the ones that come as a result of like you sitting down and going okay like where are the pains and how can I solve those pains or do the best ideas and is it easier if they actually come from your own life and the things that kind of are just bothering you that you feel you can be, you know, have a hand in making it more convenient or or done in a different way. Sure. Um, In my opinion, it is what comes naturally to you. And, you know, for people that are in the marketing world or, um, I, I want to say in the click funnel space in particular, people talk a lot about you're an expert in something, you're an expert in you, whatever your your interests are, mm-hmm. you're that expert. And it's really the same thing in this market. It's just I don't think people realize it's not that difficult to grasp an idea and run with it. And you really can do that. And that's for me, that's what it is. A lot of my inventions are um, you know, drinkware or outdoor related, like I have a, and I don't want to use a trademark here, but it's kind of like a thermos style flask. Um, but it's by far the highest performing one that's ever been made. And I have an, another one as well that, and these are just getting ready to go to market. So that's awesome. The tooling is all done, but it's uh, it's a basically a can koozie that you, we call it the weekender. And the whole idea is that if you take it camping, uh, it's one thing that does everything. So you can put a can in it, your beer, Coke, whatever you have, keep it cold during the day you wake up in the morning when i have coffee uh there's a lid that fits it and it all stores underneath and it's just that so it's you know kind of just my lifestyle my my hobbies my interests um you know i have some music products as well and they all just kind of flow you know naturally to me and that that can easily be you know um whatever your interest happens to be whether it's auto or golf or you name it um you know find find what annoys you and fix it basically 
how much money might one need to invest to go from, and I know it obviously depends on what the product is, but you know, can you get started with a small budget? Is this even a conversation that anybody who, you know, is, is, is struggling for money or just doesn't have a huge budget to experiment and try new things with? Can they even start thinking about this or is there no room for that? Do you need a significant amount of capital to get started? The, the awesome thing about this is that today you really don't. And I can't speak for how this was a decade ago or 20 years ago. I wasn't in the space, but now you can go online. Uh, there's a software called Fusion 360, which is a 3D modeling software. It's free. Uh, if you're doing under $100,000 a year, it's free if you want to go get it. And that will basically, it's, I mean, it's a very intricate program, but there's lots of YouTube tutorials. There's lots of stuff out there where you can teach yourself to draw in 3D. And as far as 3D printing goes, I have a couple microphone clips that I've designed. Um, I can produce those on a 3D printer for under $5. And they're selling, uh, you know, $15 retail, $10 wholesale, I can produce it under $5 on a 3D printer without investing in tooling. So I have no real upfront cost. And if I sell that online, and say that it ships in seven to 10 business days, and once a week, I send orders to my 3D printer, the guy can print almost 500 of these in a day. So um, it's, I'm not sitting on, you know, inventory, I don't have a warehouse, you know, I don't need it. So um, you, you really can, depending on the part, of course, if it's something huge, then um, you'd probably be better off to tool it and have to invest in that. But for small parts or things that, um, there's also different limitations with 3D printing, or I should say freedoms in 3D printing mm-hmm. that, that allow you to go against traditional methods of manufacturing that you can't do with molding techniques, so to speak. So even if you're not the best at drawing uh, you know, mold ready stuff with draft angles and tolerances and all this kind of stuff, you can still 3D print it. So if you can get yourself in the ballpark, you can get out there, get started. And then, you know, if you make a bunch of money off of it, then maybe it makes sense to invest in tooling and bring your part costs down and scale that way. Yeah, But you can absolutely get started without huge amounts of outgoing dollars. Where might one find a 3D printer person that can help them? Is there just, this is just as simple as an online search in the local area, or can you even do it remotely and have people send you what they print out? Sure. Um, there are websites. One is called 3D Hubs, and that is a place where basically you can go online. They have a network of makers, which are people that have 3D printers or CNC machines, laser etchers, whatever the m- machinery is. And they have all non-disclosure agreements signed with them. So uh, they protect, you know, I wouldn't necessarily take something if it's a huge billion dollar innovation, I would not do this. But for the stuff I'm doing, I can go to 3D hubs, I can load it up there, uh, and I can have parts at my door in five days. Um, you know, it's not that big a deal. And the part cost is low. Anybody can do this. You just upload your file and, uh, you know, they'll sub it out to somebody closest to you that has the type of machine you're looking for. And it shows up in a nice shiny box on your door. That's crazy. So, uh, my partner, Caleb and I, Caleb, a lot of, you know, is the videographer that I'm working with for my YouTube channel and, and other video things, online courses and whatnot. Um, we're creating a solution in the video space, and we're working with the team from Product, uh, Richie and 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 a few other people there. Richie Norton was on the show previously, and this was the only other time we've really ever talked about physical products and things like that. So it's we, we we're working with that team, and 
the engineer has access to a 3D printer, and that's how we've been getting our prototypes. And I got to say, it's just the most incredible feeling to have an idea, to see some drawings for it, and go, okay, yeah, that's my that maybe is what it's going to look like. And then a few days later, you get a package, and it's like actually there in your hands, and it's this like plasticky material, but it works. And you're just yeah. like, this is the, this is so crazy. Like you can really take what's in your head and actually turn it into something. And then hopefully, you know, obviously other people would want the same thing too, but we've gone through seven or eight different variations of the prototype. And I think that that phase is, is so important. So let's, let's talk about kind of the, the life cycle of an idea that a person might have for something that they could, you know, create and potentially sell a physical product after you get the idea for it. What might the next steps be? Do you do any validation for that pro for that product or, like, do you go straight to prototyping so you can just at least get it in your hands first? Like, what, what are the next steps after you have an idea? Um, well, for me, it really depends on the size, like the physical size of the product. Um, 3D printing on a mass scale is still pretty expensive, and there are typically other means that are more suited for that. But um, if, it's, if it's something small, I'll go ahead and print it because it's going to be such a, a low investment for me i can draw something on my computer you know in 30 minutes or an hour whatever have you send it off and then let that simmer while they're printing it and shipping it to me and i can go on to other things and then i can come back and revisit that so what if you don't know how to do the computer software can you potentially work with somebody to help you with that absolutely yeah uh, the only thing i would recommend first is get yourself a good non-disclosure agreement and get a large pen and have everybody under the sun that you talk to sign one of those mm -hmm. and make sure that you, one of the things that I would I really want to stress is what's called public disclosure. And that's where people get this idea and it's a light bulb and they're proud of it. And they, they go and they tell everybody under the sun. And if you do that too fast, you can actually ruin your chance of getting a patent. So, um, you've got to be careful with that. But, um, yeah, there are people, you know, all over the place, uh, basically drafters uh, that can that can draw this stuff for you. You can sub it out or you probably know people that do it and you just don't realize it. Uh, right. People that work for tooling companies or um, even architecture people, um, you know, it's, you can, you can start in a 2d space and move to 3d if you need to, or vice versa. However, it needs to be uh, manufactured. Cool. Okay. So you get somebody to draw it for you or you, you draw it yourself and you can get a prototyped version of it after obviously whoever you share it with, you have them sign an NDA and mm -hmm. a non-disclosure agreement. You get the, 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 the things back and you know, it's obviously not the final version, but it's, it, it's, it's in your hands. What are some things that you should look out for? How do you work with that prototype to make whatever it is you're creating better? Um, I mean, the main thing that I want to do at first is make sure that, whatever material I see in mind for the finished product that it's going to be durable. Uh, because once again, I'm in the, I'm in the outdoor space for the most part. So, um, you know, I can't sell somebody something that they're going to go 200 miles off the main road and then it breaks. So for me, durability and usability functionality is number one. And I, I want to see that happen at the beginning. If I can make a plastic part that won't fail, chances are the metallic part that is, you know, is the end product will be just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's really where I start number one. And then after the functionality is proven, then I go back and revisit and look for design features and, you know, is this thing ugly or does it look good? Is it ready to go? Um, am I manufacturing it 
in a way where I need to include draft angles and tolerances or can I just go ahead and run with it? So there are lots of things to consider after that point. But the first thing I do when I get a part is just, you know, of course, give it a, a once over and make sure everything is right and then measure the 3D print as well, because sometimes there can be a little bit of drift in there. But if it's every if the tolerances of the print are right, everything looks good. I want to make sure it functions. Number one. Cool. OK. And then from there what might the next steps be? We want to patent this thing. Is this like now that we have a final prototype, essentially let's, let's, let's get to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, what might the next steps be? Can you potentially take that? We've also had Stephen key on the show who is an old school inventor long time ago. I think he helped invent the Teddy rock spin and like a bunch of other things from my childhood. Um, and, and, and he was saying that, you know, sometimes you can just have an idea or a prototype and you could sell that and you don't even have to go any further. You could license it and those kinds of things. Have you done that at this point yet? Or are we not even at that point where that could happen? Uh, I have. Yes. I've got, um, one product right now that we're able to produce it, but we're able to produce it in all spaces except for Marine. Basically it is licensed to a Marine distributor and they own that space. So if it's, um, an outdoor store that sells boating stuff, I can't sell to them. You know, this, that, that is covered by this distributor. So that is a, that is a licensing agreement in place there. How do you know Uh, that? Like, do I'm assuming you have lawyers and stuff who kind of do the research and understand the ins and outs of these particular industries you're getting into? Correct. Yes. I, I am fortunate enough that my partner in, uh, partner in, this venture, basically, he, gosh, I, I can't even begin to talk about this guy. He's probably the smartest individual I've ever met in my entire life. But he's got, I'm going to say, close to 50 patents himself. Um, you know, very, very smart individual. And that guy has been my mentor um, that has guided me through this whole process from day one. Basically, somehow I landed in his house uh, with my very first invention. And we've just done everything together since uh, every step of the way. What would you say to somebody who's like, man, you know, Ryan, that sounds great for you, but we don't have a partner like that. This, this, sure. this doesn't even sound like something we could do, or is it? I would probably at that point uh, go to a patent lawyer. Um, I mean, you can do that, and there's definitely a cost involved with that. You could try to write it yourself, but the problem with writing it yourself is you're probably going to leave a lot on the table that you didn't realize you could claim, or if you don't you know, research enough, you might not include prior art that's already out there. And, you know, your patent could be rejected because of that. So what's the, what's really, the purpose of the patent in the first place? Well, it, it depends if it's a utility patent or a design patent. And uh, design patent basically is your ornamental features. Um, and, you know, a, a good case in point would be Yeti coolers versus Arctic coolers where they sued, sued Arctic over uh, basically almost imitation, so to speak, because the consumer was confused as to which product they were buying was one of the claims. And uh, basically all they had to do at the end of this you know, multi-year, who knows how much money lawsuit was change the appearance, the just the physical appearance of their product. That was really it. I'm sure there's probably some restitution or some kind of payment back and forth to, to cover that. But basically a design patent is just the visual of the product. Now, if you can get a utility patent, which I, I really try to focus specifically on utility patents because then you're, you're owning that space. It's not a commodity at that point. So nobody can just change the look and enter that market alongside of you. You own the, the beast, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So 
um, that's what I try to focus on are utility patents where I can I can create the product and then really it's up to me as to how how I want to handle that. But they're just they're two completely different animals. A lot of times they go hand in hand. You'll get a utility patent, then you'll do the design patent along with um, your utility to cover the visual the visual representation of your intellectual property. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. How long does it take to get a patent? Uh, let's do the utility. Sure. The the pending aspect does not take that long at all. Once it's written, of course, you have to you have to get it written first and then sent out, and that can be anywhere from a couple weeks to a month, month and a half, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. To actually issue can be several years, but you're covered during that patent pending time. So uh, that was kind of with public disclosure and all that stuff. You have to wait until you have your your official pending application back before you can officially claim patent pending or else i believe it's fraud i believe legally speaking it is technically fraud so if you, if you just create something and throw patent pending on it i'm pretty sure there are some legal implications with that mm-hmm. and is that protecting you from others copying it as well um it, it, yeah the patent pending the thing with the patent pending is your application Basically, it establishes a filing date as well because it used to be if you could prove somebody created something um, or you created something before somebody else, you could try to dispute that. But the law changed, and forgive me for not knowing exactly when, but the law changed to where it's now first to file. So if I have an idea for something and I file the patent pending, I get the paperwork back. Um, My product, I claim patent pending either on the product or the packaging uh, somewhere where it's visible. And then I put that out in the world and somebody sees that and goes, well, that's a cool idea. And they copy it. Then I have the ability to prove this is the date I filed on it. Uh, you know, I, I made it apparent that the, the product is patent pending. But another thing with that is that patent pending is not published. So people don't know what your claims are or what, you know, what intellectual property on that product is yours. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a scary situation for them because they don't know if they're going to be infringing on you or not. Got it. It's basically a deterrent to keep them from trying to copy your products while the government processes it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so we we get the patent pending. You know that's that's gone through, and then we can now share it. And and is that at the point at which we, if we were to go into market for it, for example, we can actually say patent pending and print patent pending and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. That that is the reason that exists. So you can cover yourself, and you can get out there in, in the market and get started without having to wait on the backlog to be processed. And now getting this to market, let's talk about that. I know you have expertise sure. in that. So you, you've, you've invented or have come up with this idea. You've gotten a prototype for it. You filed the patent. You got that back. It's patent pending. And which way do you go? Do you, and this is a way that Caleb and I are going to you know, promote it. We're going to run it through Kickstarter uh, mm-hmm. because it's a great platform for idea validation. We can raise funds before we ha- we can create the tooling and the molds and stuff, which is, you know, are very expensive. Yes. Um, but at that point, then, it just becomes, you know, injection molding to reproduce it and create it at a much lower price versus, like, our prototypes are in the thousands of dollars of, ra- of range um, just because it's hand-tooled hand and, and handmade. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's why we're doing the Kickstarter to raise money to create the molds and then reproduce it and, you know, just start printing it out for everybody. Um, how would you market a product when you get the idea? Well, it really depends on 
on a lot of factors. I've got one product right now, for example, that I know absolutely in my head it's a home run. Um, in the market that it's in, uh, the the leader in that space sells somewhere between, and it's hard to find exact numbers, that's another thing, but there's somewhere between uh, um, around 300 and $500 million a year as a company. Um, and I would assume this product line is probably half of that. So in in my mind, why would I try to compete with that when I can just go to them and you know get their attention, get them to sign these non-disclosure agreements as well, and then show them the product that I've got. And if they like it, which in this case, um, I'm still kind of negotiating this, but so far it's been very well and the company likes it and we're moving into the contract phase on this. Um, if they like it, I don't want to compete with them. I want to, you know, boost them and get them higher and everybody wins in that situation. So, uh, this product would be very expensive for me to manufacture myself. I would have to have a warehouse. I would have to have a sales team. I would have to have distribution, all that kind of stuff. So in that particular regard, it's better not to fight the fight. It's better to join the winning team. If that makes sense. Um, for another product that I have, which I've designed and I, I, by the time this airs, I can officially say it's patent pending because the paperwork's going out this week. But um, I've designed a couple different microphone clips for for uh, live audio. And for these, I really don't want to go the route of trying to license that. Uh, that's something that I can produce very inexpensively and I can just take it to market myself. And I'll do that through probably Shopify. And uh, I'm fortunate enough through my career in audio uh, that I can get this in the hands of some of some pretty well-known guys and they can put it out on stage for me and get pictures. So I, I, I'll have good content. Um, I'll have, you know, that kind of social proof from these guys using it. So I'll have all right. the elements necessary to, to run a successful Facebook ads campaign or something like that. So in that regard, I can just take it straight to Shopify, sell it myself. For that and one, as, would you have your own separate company for that product or are you running this all under another sort of umbrella company? Uh, yeah, I basically have two companies. I have one that is shared with my um, mentor that I was referring to earlier. And basically, we split IP 50-50. Um, and um, so if I sell this, I will be responsible for paying a royalty to him and myself through our separate company, if that makes sense. So I, I'm able to go out and sell whatever I want um, as long as I'm paying the royalty to myself on the other side. That way it's, it's all even in, in his shares compensated as well. And, and everybody's happy and everybody wins. Mm -hmm. And then for the other one with the contract with these various companies that you're going to try and work with, mm -hmm. um, that's done through the same company. Correct. That's done through the company that we have that, that actually owns the IP of the patents and all that stuff. Yeah. And then so, when you create a contract, I'm sorry, um, That's I'm, okay. just, I'm just curious to know what that contract might look like. I'm sure there's, you know, obviously negotiations and whatnot, but is that an outright, we want that, we want to buy the IP from you, here's a bazillion dollars, or is it, you know, <laughs> we'll do, you know, 1% of all sale, you know, or, you know, I, the, the the worry I have is people will get super excited about this episode, they'll go and create something, they get a deal with another company and they, they shortchange themselves. I want to know what all the other options might be to make sure that, you know, it's fair on both sides. And so what, what do those contracts kind of look like sometimes? Sure. So basically how, how this particular scenario played out is that I reached out to this company, uh, set up a meeting with them, which some companies are very receptive and some companies will just 
shut the door in your face and they don't want to hear outside ideas. They don't care if your product is better than theirs. They, they just don't want to hear it. So when that happens, accept it, you know, don't, don't be, um, emotional about it. It's just business and then move on to somebody that is willing to hear you. But in this case, I went out there, showed them the product. Um, they liked it. We came back. They wanted some time to think about it internally. Uh, they took a few weeks and thought about it and then said, yes, we want it. Let's make it happen. So right now we're in what is called the letter of intent phase, which is basically they are going to have an internal R&D period and internal validation time where not it's not just them prepping to go to market. It's them really getting time with the prototype, time with the IP itself to really dive into it and see if it fits their brand, fits their product image. And then if so, then they'll go to market. So during that letter of intent period, um, there is a payment due uh, during that time. It's nothing extravagant. Basically, it's them buying the time that I'm losing in market because the patent clock ticks as soon as that file, you know, paperwork goes out the door, mm-hmm. your clock is ticking. So um, that is something to reserve that time. So I'm not going to go try to sell this out from under them. But at the same time, uh, they have the freedom up to, in, in this particular contract, up to 18 months they can take to develop this in time uh, and get it to where they want to be. And then at that point, it'll go to market, and we need to have a conversation prior to that of, is it going to be a straight licensing deal? Is it going to be uh, a straight buyout? Or is it going to be what kind of works for everybody where it's a little bit of a staged buyout? So if they owe you, uh, I'm just going to pull random numbers here, but sure. let's say they owed you a million dollars in royalty for this year, and they paid you um, a purchase price of $10 million to buy the patent, so you get $2 million up front. Um they own, sorry, you own 80% of the royalties. If royalties were a million, you, you know, you'd be due 800000 in royalties. And they can buy down that equity over time. So for them, it's a little bit of a risk management mm. uh, system. For you, um, it's a little bit of a commitment to them to show that you're not just out just trying to sell them something and run with the bag of cash. You're actually wanting right. to see a product come to life and you're willing to be there and help them as well as much as they may or may not want you to. Yeah, that's cool. That's really interesting. Do you feel that, or have you even experienced this where you go in and, you know, it's a product that you've worked really hard on. Like I can even imagine this happening with, with my own. Um, maybe not with this one that I'm working on right now because I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not known as a videographer, but it, it is still a product. And so, you know, I'm just curious, have you ever experienced where you go in and you're like, you know, uh, another company wants it, but you're like, this is my, this is my baby. Like I need, like, I, I can't separate myself from this And you know, I, I, I worry about that getting in the way of actually taking advantage of some really good opportunities that are out there. So how do you balance, like, these are yours and your ideas versus, you know, the cash out on the other end. And maybe there's, there's the opposite of it. I mean, maybe, maybe feeling slimy selling it because it is your own. I don't know how, I'm sure there's a lot of emotions that come into play when, these deals are made. Sure. For me, it's, um, it's not so much that that is the case. Um, how would I say it? Um, I need a minute to think on that one. Yeah. Basically, I don't, I don't feel slimy about selling a product. I don't feel that there's any, anything bad that comes from it. It's really cool to create something and put it out there and if somebody likes it, to take it and run with it. Um, what what I have a harder time dealing with is when I create something, and I had this happen one time, and 
I created something. It was uh, just an absolute, in my opinion, a home run of a product. I found the leader in the space. I got a hold of the the director of R&D. They signed a non-disclosure. I put together a killer presentation, um, delivered it, and you know it was just crickets. And, and they totally didn't understand it, didn't get it, and walked from it. And I'm still sitting on that idea right now. And I'm it just completely blows my mind that that they didn't take it. So more more than putting them out there and having them, uh, you know, go and you know letting letting your kids kind of grow up and and go out on their own, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's harder when you know that you've made something that there's a huge value to in the world and it doesn't go. <laughs> That's yeah. the harder part. So in this particular product, um, basically, I've I've created a solution that stops vehicle theft of firearms, guitars, cameras, laptops, whatever have you. Um, I've completely, uh, you'd have to sit there for a while if you're going to try to steal this thing. It's not just a smash and grab scenario. And I found the leader in protective gear and, and you know, they just didn't want to do it. But all they would have to do to their, their existing product to make it happen is just a little bit of a slight modification. So very, very minimal effort on their part to make it work. And it would have, you know, I see all the time from my music experience, uh, people that are chasing stolen guitars you know trying to find their gear that's been stolen or the same thing with with firearms people that get their cars broke into or cameras stolen out of the back whatever have you this would totally fix that and i've thought for sure they would take it and that's cool i like that idea yeah they didn't uh, they didn't even give it the time of day so they but get, i had enough i'm they, sorry go ahead no no so, so you you gave them this presentation yep you showed them how much detail about what you were going to offer them like the whole thing Oh yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's so crazy simple, but it's so crazy effective as well. That's why I, I walked in there, you know, like Macho Man Randy Savage, thinking it was just <laughs> gonna happen, and <laughs> didn't wasn't the case. <laughs> now let's say that they now have an internal meeting, and they go, "Man, Ryan's idea is really good, and I think we can create something like it, maybe similar. Let's do it ourselves and not have to pay Ryan anything." Like. Mm-hmm. How are you protected from that happening? Well, in that particular case, I had a non-disclosure agreement. So if they were to do something like that, I have a legal paper trail showing the date they signed it. And of course, I've got all the email chains and all that stuff showing the conversation back and forth. But um, really, it comes down to what kind of a patent you have and how strong is it? Because from their side of view... Their their director of R and D or whoever this person might be, their interest is not in your patent. Their interest is not in your well being. Their interest is in furthering their company. So why would they want to pay you a royalty if they don't have to? If they think your patent is very weak um, or something they can easily get around, you know they're in their right to do that as well. Um, so long as they haven't signed you know a, a document with you that states they won't do that, but. Um, yeah, that's that's where you got to be careful with disclosure and what you tell people. And sometimes less is more. Um, you know, feel them out, get their get their um, how would I say it? Get their perspective on it and feel how interested they are and engaged they are before you you know give them everything, so to speak. Yeah, wow, this is so crazy. Because for those of us who work in the digital space, these aren't really things that we need need to worry about. And <laughs> You know, this is why I'm almost very thankful that I'm mainly in the online space. But but I do have a lot of fun with it. I'm 
with this product that Caleb and I are creating, it's um, it's so new and exciting and fun, and you know the manufacturing and the materials. I mean, there's so many things that pop up. Like, you know, once you get the prototype, it's like, okay, now what material do you want to use to actually create this thing? And there's, you know, testing on the materials to carry certain weights and durability, mm-hmm. like you said, and just like different materials equals different costs and any big mistakes that you've made that I or the audience listening don't have to make that you can share? Um, honestly, a, a big part of it is going to be due diligence on your quality assurance. Um, and the biggest, I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate that I haven't had many just full out failures as far as production runs go. But mm-hmm. we had one product that we made where the lid of this particular item was supposed to be made out of uh, a copolymer called Triton. And it was um, the factory, I think, tried to sneak one in on us and they made them out of acrylic. And acrylic is not an ideal material for that scenario. And they started to crack internally and you could see it because it's clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically we had about 2000, uh, lids that were just complete and utter failures. Um, so that's, you know, I've been fortunate. That's probably the biggest hiccup that we've had. And that just came down to calling them out on it and getting it fixed. Uh, and that's where having, uh, manufacturing partners that may not necessarily be the cheapest, but they are good, you know, sincere, genuine people, um, there's a lot of value that comes from that part as well. That's cool. And then to finish off, for those of us who are now interested in getting started down this path, where would you recommend we just we, we begin and how can you kind of motivate us to, to keep going with it? Because I've already learned that this is not an easy process. This is something that has many different steps. And many times I've always questioned just why am I even doing this? Um, what keeps you motivated? And what can you recommend to keep us motivated? Sure. Uh, for me, the motivation is easy. I get to wake up every day and, and watch my kid run around. And, um, you know, I can be as active or as lazy as I want, but I'm still working. So if I'm sitting on the couch with my face in my phone, my head is still thinking of products. If I'm mowing my yard, my head is thinking of products. So uh, it, it really doesn't matter where I'm at or what I'm doing. I can still be working in a sense. So it's kind of like, a lot of digital people are in coffee shops or traveling. Uh, I can do the same thing, and I still just need my laptop if I want to draw something. But, uh, you know, I can sketch stuff on my phone or, or however you want to capture it. You can just be thinking of ideas all the time. So that that has, for me, is my motivation. But um, as far as, you know, really just getting started in it, um, the, the thing is... What I, I use it first, and it's a modif- kind of a modified version of it, but there's a test out there called the toothbrush test. Are you familiar with the toothbrush test? Yeah. So basically, if you create a product that gets used more than someone's toothbrush, that's a good way of figuring out if it's going to be uh, a viable product or if it's something that will just be a trinket that somebody will buy and set on the shelf and never touch or maybe not even buy at all. So, uh, And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to use it twice a day period. But think of that and apply it to your space. For example, if it's, um, I want to reference golf because that's something that's totally out of my element. I'm a terrible, terrible golfer. So (laughs) most of us, um, let's say you create a golf product and, 
Um, for you, it fixes a problem that you have, and it's something that either A, is, is a permanent product, so you put it in place and then it does its thing, or B, it's something that's a consumable and you're constantly needing to replenish it. If it helps you every single time that you use it, it's probably a great product. I like that. Thanks for that test. And I'm going through the test right now with my product. Uh, <laughs> and I'm thankful that a person would likely use it who, you know, this is for uh, multiple times a day. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, one other thing I wanted to mention too, when we're talking yeah. about digital versus uh, physical products and the, you know, I don't want to scare people away thinking that anybody can just quickly get around your patent and go make their product. I see that happen all the time in the digital space where, uh, people create courses and they put it out there and then people just basically blatantly copy all of their content and reiterate it and sell it as themselves. Or I saw this firsthand in the music industry where, uh, you know, file sharing basically destroyed, you know, it's recovered, but at the time just really destroyed the industry. So, um, you know, physical products are as strong as ever. People are consuming on a daily basis. One thing I see happening is that people are making smarter choices now. It's not just more, 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 but it's people would rather spend a little more and get something quality that's going to last and something that's very well suited for what they're trying to do, whatever that might be. Um, so the cooler the product is that you can create, the, the simpler the product as well. Um, that's the same thing with like Alexa. It's this crazy complicated electronic device, but all you have to do is say, you know, Hey Alexa. So the most simple that you can make it in operation is that's going to be your key to standing out amongst other people is how can you, how can you make it, you know, smarter, um, you know, harder, faster, better, stronger kind of thing. Um, that's something that people really need to embrace when they, when they do the design from the very beginning, as soon as they get started, just have that in mind. You know, simple is good. Simple is a very good thing. Simple is good, and that's true for both physical products and digital products as well. Um, man, Ryan, this is a great conversation. Super helpful for me, and I know everybody else listening, especially if you've gotten started down this road already. It's uh, very, very good information here, so I appreciate that, Ryan. Um, Thanks, sir. Where should people go to check out more of what you have going on? I think we had talked before recording that, you know, sure. just your Instagram would. Yeah, basically, I, I have uh, I have ditched the website. I'm I'm trying something new, so I'm going basically just with Instagram and Facebook. But most of my time is uh, spent on Instagram. So Instagram is at the Ryan Gorman, mm-hmm. and on Facebook is Facebook.com/slash/EntrepreneurInventor. Love it. Thanks, man. Appreciate your help and best of luck to the next 50 inventions and, and, and ideas. And um, I'll keep you posted offline with, uh, with, with my stuff because I know you were asking about how it was going. So, And all of you will likely hear about uh, my, m- me and Caleb's uh, idea in the near future, if not already. It could, could be out there by the time this episode goes out. We'll see. But anyway, thank you so much, Ryan. Appreciate you and best of luck. Thank you, Pat. I really appreciate your time. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ryan Gorman. Again, you can find him on Instagram at the Ryan Gorman, uh, G-O-R-M-A-N. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show, man, and helping me and the other entrepreneurs who are diving into this space and trying things out. It's it's definitely a different world for me coming from the uh, digital space, but the physical product thing is really exciting. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I appreciate you. To get the show notes uh, for this episode, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session three. 41. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I appreciate you. I appreciate all the reviews that are continually coming in. You guys are amazing. Team Flynn, you guys are rock stars, and I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.